welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Next up on the ABCA podcast are Gordy and Eric Tyson. This is another switch on the father and son episodes where Gordy is Eric's assistant. Eric and Gordy coach together at Hillsdale College. Hillsdale is a Division II high academic school in Michigan. Eric has been the head coach at Hillsdale since 2014. Hillsdale has qualified for the NCAA Regionals two out of the last three years. He was named the GLIAC Coach of the Year in 2016 and the Great Midwest Athletic Conference Coach of the Year in 2018. Before coming to Hillsdale, Eric was the pitching coach at Siena Heights. He pitched collegially at Illinois State from 2005 to 2008 and pitched professionally after college. Gordy has been Eric's assistant since 2014. Gordy has a wealth of experience in the college game. He was the head coach at Siena Heights University from 1987 to 2003, racking up 341 career victories. After that, Gordy was the pitching coach at Adrian College. In this episode, we discuss their relationship coaching together. We dive into what has helped Eric coaching by going to Brussels to pitch after college. Gordy gives great insight on being an older coach and having to learn new technology. And we also deep dive into resources and habits that help both of them be successful coaches. Let's welcome Gordy and Eric to the podcast. Here with uh, Eric and Gordy Tyson of Hillsdale College. We go way back, um, but I appreciate you guys coming on with me right now. Thanks for having us. Yes, sir. Eric, um, you've described your dad as the best teammate you've ever had. What does that statement mean? You know, he uh, good teammates, in my mind, um, hold you accountable. Um, they, they encourage you. Uh, but they show you the the road to, to go down to, to become better and and they lead by example so you know those are some of the things that that come to mind uh, you know he, he's not gonna let me uh, let me get away with slacking or or anything of that nature but he's also gonna he's also gonna give me the encouragement that uh, you know that we all look for out of good friends and good teammates and I love that I I've used that a lot with with being a good teammate doesn't mean that they're going to sit there and tell you exactly what you want to hear. But, you know, Gordy is him being your son. Like, how difficult is that for you at times or does it come easy for you? Well, I, uh, for the most part, it comes easy. Um, we we occasionally have a challenging moment with each other when when he thinks I'm being insubordinate or, <laughs> you know, or. Or we look at things and uh, we each value uh, something different as far as level of importance with something, you know. But it, those are rare occasions, really. And and we'll get into that a little bit more. Gordy, was there ever a time when Eric was in high school where he was going to come pitch for you at Siena Heights? Was Did that ever come into the equation that he was ever going to come pitch for you? Well, uh, I, I remember thinking when he was in ninth grade that if he wanted to play college baseball, I just hoped that he would be good enough to play for me and people wouldn't say he was just playing because he was my kid. Um, and uh, then 
after his, uh, well, probably during his junior year of high school is when his, you know, he started to, he was kind of a late bloomer physically, really thin. And when he started uh, developing more strength, more speed, that's when his velocity started getting up there. And once there were some Division One schools on him, then, then there was no, no way I was going to say, hey, man, you know, we need you here at Siena Heights. And, you know, by that point, it was, uh, it was, hey, you know, do what's going to be best for you. So, so yeah, sometimes I had maybe hoped that it was in the cards, but it wasn't going to be something that, that was going to be a, you know, a make or break thing for me or our program. Eric, how was that for you? I mean, your dad's college coach. Um, you make a little bit of that jump. Um, you know, how was that from your perspective then that when you started thinking about division one, as opposed to going to pitch for your dad, maybe. Yeah. To, to be honest, uh, my whole process was, was pretty easy. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, um, a lot of that just shows kind of how, how much, uh, my dad let me run that decision and run that process. Um, and, and I never felt judged for, for any, any piece of it at all. Um, I think he just did a good job making me feel really comfortable and making me feel like I owned that process. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of, it kind of came down to, did I want to be a two-way player, um, and, and maybe go play for my dad or, or did I want to try and, you know, reach, reach the pinnacle. And so, uh, that ended up being, a kind of, a the deciding factor there is, uh, which route I wanted to go, and and uh, of course I made a great choice going to going to play for Coach Coach B at Illinois State. Yeah, and I yeah I'll, I'll bring that up in the intro, but you did have to to suffer through pitching for my dad and brother. You know how was that for you? I mean, what what did they teach you that got you ready for what you're doing right now? Oh man, well being able to see you know of course uh, the father son combo combo playing playing for them, being able to see that relationship was cool. Um, but you know, coach Brownlee was a lot like my dad was, uh, growing up and I was used to that and I thrived off of that. And, uh, it was, it, it didn't take coach Brownlee long to, to kind of realize that he could get me going pretty easily, uh, just by being himself. And, and I was one of the players who, who thrived in that environment. And so it was, uh, it was a good time and it was always cool. It was always fun to see them kind of poking fun at each other like like we do now you know and my brother's a really hard critic like he loved you um you know you probably didn't know that but I'm out um at Iowa and my brother loved talking about you and my brother's harsh harsh in that way he's a really hard critic so if my brother loves you like he you're doing something because he he's big on the the makeup side of things and how tough guys are and I think they kind of knew that they were going to, they're going to jab at everybody to see if they could get something out of them. And, um, are you guys that way now? I mean, you treat your guys that way now. I think it's a different generation. Um, are you still able to prod at your, your guys that you're coaching now? Uh, you can, you can probably take that. Well, uh, it is a different generation. Uh, we're, we're kind of lucky here at Hillsdale where we can get guys that, uh, you know, that we we can proud that proud them a little bit, but it's not like when I was coaching in the '80s and the '90s when you could use call them every name in the book. Um, although we do have our you know 
our names we like to call them but uh but you, you know i mean as in, in coaching uh you got to find out what what does trigger guys to step it up a little bit and with some guys the old school methods work and with some guys you you have to figure out other ways for sure yeah you know here here at hillsdale the uh i think that we we talked about it the other day one of the one of the big factors for our guys is the responsibility skill so to speak is is there with with the high academic guys that we get and and just the the overall maturity level and responsibility factor so thankfully just you know the simple act of being responsible on a consistent basis isn't something that we've got to worry about too much eric had your dad ever coached you a lot growing up i mean it yeah. went a ton like yeah. how how much because everybody's got a different story with that some guys dads didn't coach them at all and then some guys dads coached them a ton how how much interaction was it just in baseball was it other sports or you know what interactions had you guys had from a coaching standpoint uh yeah essentially from what i can remember all the way up until i got into high school in baseball um i think uh being on a college campus um you know there were other resources there for some other sports um, but I remember growing up w with him involved in Pop Warner football, but baseball specifically, all the way up until I got into high school. And then, Eric, you got your job at Hillsdale 2014. Did you bring your dad right on with you in 2014? Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was uh, an easy decision for me. Um, you know, I didn't have to ask him for a resume or anything. We were good to go. <laughs> was was there ever were you ever doubtful or was it a gumby for sure when i get this job i'm i'm having my dad come coach with me or was it honest, there, no, there, there, there were not any doubts um i you know on the performance and uh you know with him being a, a head coach for 16 years at siena heights and then for him having been in an assistant position at adrian college with the pitchers uh which is who you know we wanted him to work with um, he was already in that, in that role. And, uh, you know, boy, we had been talking about it for a long time, how nice it would be to, to get back into the dugout together. You know, I, that's the bulk of my memories growing up. My childhood memories are, are practices, you know, on the recruiting trail or, or in the dugout with him. And so we had kind of talked about how nice it would be to get back to that at some point. And, you know, luckily it happened sooner rather than later. Not that you take it for granted, but being in the dugout growing up helps you in so many ways, not just on the baseball side of it, but, but helps you in, in the real world as well, because you're able to, to get along. Um, you know, what other things did you take from growing up around it that are helping you? You know, uh, honestly, it, in specifically talking about baseball, it was cool for me to see as I started to get older that his players, college players, who, of course, I grew up looking up to, you know, like they're superheroes, um, they acted just like my friends and I did on the baseball field. So it was really cool. It was good for me at a young age to be able to see, oh, you don't have to be super serious all the time to be good at this game. You can joke around and, and have, have fun with your friends and still be out here and, and enjoy the game. Um, and, you know, so that was one of the biggest things that, that I think I took away from it. But, you know, the road trips and I, uh, I got my growing up lessons on the back of the bus growing up with the with the college ball players. And some of that was probably uh, before I, I should have been taught those lessons. But 
Um, you know, I, 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 can't I learned play. how to play euchre when I was six years old. Like I knew how to play euchre at six. Like I'd be on the back of the bus with, with my dad's players and be like, Hey, you want to learn how to play? Euchre? Yep. I, so I could play euchre when I was six years old. Um, I think the other thing that helped was you saw guys struggle, you know, so you kind of knew that that was part of the game. Also, you got to sit and watch, you would see guys play really well, but You'd see guys struggle. I, Andy Bennis, when he was a freshman, he was just okay. And I saw him give up some of the longest home runs I'd ever seen hit. And that guy was an unbelievable big league pitcher. And so I think that helped me as a player and then as a coach that guys were going to struggle at some point. I just don't think you take it for granted. So I, that, those were things that I appreciated is that you actually saw guys could struggle a little bit too. Not that they weren't good players or good pitchers, but you got a chance to, to watch them struggle a little bit too. Um, you know, what, what are your guys' biggest positives besides all of that? You know, are there some other positives? Well, there's a lot of them. I, I just, you know, I, I'm grateful. We get to, we, I get to see them every day. We get to spend time, you know, we're, we're sharing an office and hotel rooms and, and on the buses. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because when he was at Adrian and I was an assistant here at Hillsdale, my sister would always say, well, wow, when we get together, all you guys do is talk about your teams. And so then when we started working together, she said, oh, great. Now you're going to talk about your teams, but it's the same. It's the same one. It's going to be twice as bad. So it, it's, uh, you know, it's just it's just great being able to kind of mix that and, and always, uh, you know, we've, we never run out of things to talk about. And then what are some of the bigger challenges? Oh boy. Uh, well, uh, probably my biggest challenge has nothing really to do with having my son as a boss, but, uh, now the way baseball has evolved, uh, in the last uh, handful of years, uh, I've learned more science and technology, uh, in the last two years than I did the first 60 years of my life. And so the learning curve for me with that uh, is probably a little slower than if I was 25 years old. Um, and I, I would guess that sometimes Eric maybe is a little frustrated with my uh, just kind of being an old man in, 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 in respects, you know, that way. But, uh, you know, like, like we have to do with so many things in life, uh, I have to try to embrace this because if I don't, then I become obsolete as a baseball coach. Yeah, it's amazing. And I was going to ask you that too, Gordy. That's in my notes because you did speak last year at the Barnstormers and at Michigan State, and you did talk about tech. Talk about some of that, um, you know, some of the adjustments you've had to make with some of the technology that's out there right now and what you guys are using. Yeah, well, geez, we, uh, you know, for me, you know, like your dad, for so many years, baseball – you know, it evolved, but it didn't change all that much, you know, um, whereas in the last few years, it's changing uh, drastically. And so as far as the technology we use here, geez, we well, first we started with hit tracks, which now we're getting rid of because we've got hitting and pitching rap photos. We've got uh, the blast motion sensors for the hitters, the modus uh, sensors. Uh, for the pitchers, um, and we've got uh, another assistant who is smarter than we are. So we've got track now through the driveline to 
kind of incorporate all that stuff and and I'll look at graphs and I won't know what the hell is going on there. Um, but this but, this is good to talk about because I think everybody is going through that. And so of all the things that you're getting and all the information getting are you're getting, Gordy, from an old school standpoint, what are the ones that you're using the most out of out of all the information that you're getting? What are you using the most? Because there's still some guys out there that aren't on board with the technology part of it. So, you know, what are you using the most out of everything? Well, for me, as the pitching coach, uh, in, in dealing with the pitchers, probably the most valuable tool that uh, that I've at least learned how to use more than the others so far as the pitching rap soda. Um, and we, we, we just started, uh, getting involved with the, uh, the driveline edge, uh, technology last year, but then the season ended and, you know, that was right about the time when, when, you know, I could look at our pitchers, uh, the metrics of, of each of their pitches and, bring them into the office or show them in a classroom. Hey, this is what you're doing. And maybe we need to move in this direction. Uh, and I've been probably a little slower uh, grasping some of the nuances of the modus, uh, the modus sensors, the modus sleeves. And part of that's probably because we got it later. You know, it was like late fall last year. And then, you know, when fall ball's done, some guys are shutting down. They're not using it, and, uh, uh, you know, then they get back up. And, and just me learning how to communicate, especially the modus stuff to the pitchers, has been, and, and it's probably still, uh, probably my biggest challenge uh, with the technology. Whereas with the Rap Soto, because, you know, you got four or five pitchers using it today, you know, with the bullpen or, or live inter-squad stuff, you know, you're dealing with it a little bit every day. So that's been, uh, I've been a little quicker grasping that. Whereas Eric and uh, Evan Berliner, they're dealing with uh, the hitting stuff, which I hear him talk about it and I kind of understand some of it, but I'm not really digging into that stuff. And Eric, with your pitching background, I know you're a two-way player in, in high school. Being with your pitching background, what was the biggest adjustments when you did get a head coaching job that now you're, you're going to kind of put the pitching part away and, and pick up with everything else? What were some of your biggest challenges? Because I hear that a lot from pitching guys. Well, I'm just a pitching guy. Well, you're a good example of a guy who is a pitching guy up to that point and has been a successful head coach. What were some of your biggest challenges switching roles there? Yeah, well, luckily I had somebody – off the get from the get go that I trusted working with our pitchers. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and that was probably the biggest factor in that not being a factor for me. Um, it really wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't a question. I was comfortable with who we were bringing in and having my dad work with them. I was using all of, you know, all pretty much everything that, that he was using. So it was an easy transition there. Uh, the most difficult thing was me not knowing a thing about hitting back then. And, uh, you know, and we, we tried to hire a couple people and I kind of came to the conclusion uh, after that didn't happen that, that I was maybe going to have to do it. And, you know, of course, I thought for about a week that I might be able to fake it and uh, quickly realized that our hitters were too good to, to be fooled by me. And so I really had to start to study. Um, and so that was probably the, the biggest adjustment for me was, um, 
it was kind of cool because I was able to empty my cup. It kind of rejuvenated my, uh, you know, just my, my eagerness and, and, you know, how bad I wanted to learn about the game. It was a, it was a change of pace for me. Um, so it really energized me. And then, you know, in the last few years, um, specifically probably the last two years, the, the biggest adjustment for me has been transitioning, of course, from a pitching guy to a hitting guy, then, then, then starting to incorporate some tech and now having uh, the assistant coaches that, that we've been able to get partially because of the experience we've been able to offer. Um, now my, you know, my challenges are different there in managing personnel and managing a larger coaching staff and the kind of infrastructure and communication that comes with that. So that's, uh, you know, it, you, you never run out of problems. You just, you just change your problems, right? They're new problems. If you can coach, you can coach. And I felt the same way when I had to coach the pitchers there the last couple of years. Like it, it juiced me up because I felt like I was learning new things. You talked about having to learn the hitting side. Where would you recommend somebody, you know, say they're a pitching guy and they're trying to learn the, the hitting side of it. Where did you dive into to try to learn? Um, so I remember that, that specific period of time pretty well. Um, the first resource I dove into was uh, Bobby Tewksbury's Elite Swing Mechanics. Um, and I did, uh, you know, a bunch of prior research bef before deciding to dive into that, um, just trying to figure out which, uh, you know, what, what my resources that I wanted to use were going to be. And so at that time, um, that was kind of what really opened the door for me and kind of really turned on that light switch uh, upstairs that said, hey, there's there's a lot to this. And, um you know, it kind of pulled me in, in that way. And then of course, just trying to sift through all the information that's online these days. Um, but continuing to, to think for yourself and, and have, uh, you know, have a philosophy that, that you want to gear towards. Um, you know, that was, but that was where I started the Bobby Tewksbury's book. And that was a great place for me to start. Um, since then, you know, a lot of the driveline resources have been really, really helpful, uh, for us. And of course, uh, you know, podcasts, uh, like, like ABCA and, uh, you know, and with what Sheets has been doing out there for the last couple of years, things like that, audio books, um, you, you know, it's, it's kind of like anything, right? Like books or podcasts, when you find one, you know, you start getting recommendations for others and you just start diving down those rabbit holes. And, um, it, that's been, that's been uh, a fun process for me. The thing I've been, I've been trying to do lately is make sure that I've, I'm balancing my time from, between acquiring new knowledge and kind of uh, simplifying and organizing, you know, the knowledge that I've, that I've got from, from previous, you know, acquisitions. So um, balancing those things has, has been uh, kind of my, my latest uh, thing that I've been focused on. I talked to a young coach the other day and I told him, I'm like the, you're in a great time to be a coach, but you're in a tough time to be a coach because there is so much information out there. So you have to find those core things that really work for you. And then, yes, pick some bits and pieces here to add into what you're doing, but don't completely wholesale things here and there. You know, get, get your core things that you really like and then add some things in here and there because you can get overwhelmed and then your players are going to get overwhelmed with that as well. Gordy, besides the tech stuff, what, what has changed for you over the years with coaching at the college level? Uh... Oh boy, at the college level, uh, 
really, uh, like, like you had said, if you can coach, you can coach and, and coaching is an interpersonal skill. And, um, so that, that part of it has not changed a whole lot, but, uh, um, I think, uh, now, you know, I, I talk about it and your dad would remember this stuff when I first became a college coach in the eighties, um, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have computers or laptops. You know, you had to, as far as recruiting, recruiting has probably been the biggest change because you had to call their home phone numbers back in the day. Uh, now we can Google a kid's name and find video within five seconds. Um, and, and back in the day, recruiting, you know, if you worked your butt off and you were out there, uh, you know, beating the bushes, so to speak, you might find some guys that nobody else was was uh, t making the effort to find. Whereas today, there aren't really many secrets anymore. Uh, so I think the technology, not necessarily the on-field technology we use, but the, the social networking type of technology, the cell phones, uh, and the way we interact with recruits has changed you know, completely in the last, I mean, this is my 33rd year, something like that coaching college. So that's been a huge, huge, uh, uh, evolution there. Eric, how has this summer been for you guys? I mean, you really haven't been able to have anybody on campus. You haven't been able to go out and see anybody. What adjustments are you making to recruiting for the summer? Uh, well, you know, luckily we were able to get back into the office a little earlier than some. So we've been in the office here for, for a little while together. Um, but a lot, you know, like you said, so much of it has been online. Um, we've really just tried to come up with a good system between us to filter through all of the, you know, the Twitter prospects that are out there and doing our research and making calls to, to summer coaches and high school coaches. And, um, so, you know, a lot of it is still yet to be seen and we're just trying to make sure that we are, are ready to go in any direction and have the information that we need uh, and are just, you know, communication doesn't stop regardless of whether, you know, whether it's remote or in person, the communication aspect of it is, is really the most important factor that, that we've been leaning on. So, um, you know, I, I think the big changes is, is really yet to be seen or, or how much it, it will change. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're still looking for, you know, the, the, the guys that fit our program uh, academically, socially, athletically, and, uh, you know, a fit's a fit. And so I think at the end of the day, as long as you're, you're doing your research, then it'll, it'll all work out. How many of your returning roster are guys that you didn't expect to come back that are going to come back? Well, we weren't sure about our, about our seniors, um, but we've got, we've got three set to come back out of the six that we were going to graduate. And so, um, you know, you, you feel bad for the guys who are, who aren't able to come back, even though, you know, that they, that they wish they could, or they would, they want to. Um, and then, you know, of course it throws in a whole, a whole nother aspect when, when you've got new recruits coming in as well. Um, but we're, we're kind of lucky here that we don't have a class of eight to 10 guys coming back on the, on the senior end and then come also coming in. So our roster is still manageable. It's still where, where we, where we want it to be. And, so we're, we're kind of lucky in that regard. Eric, what about going to pitch overseas? 
helped. I mean, what did you see in in Belgium? Oh man, that was a that was a, that was a good time. That was that was I call it my my farewell tour. That was uh, you know I, I did a little bit of independent ball before then and and, and got released uh, and you know figured well if I if I'm on my, I had two surgeries already at that point so said well if I'm on my way out then you know I'll I'll take a payback from the game and give me a you know a three month vacation overseas and um, you know the thing about it was that most of my teammates were. We're Latin Americans, um, Venezuelan, Dominican, and and that was just uh, that was one of the, the most fun times I've ever had playing baseball. You know, and, and part of it could have been timing, and part of it could have been location, and a lot of it I think was, was the people involved. Um, but uh, it, it it was a good time, and it was it kind of helped me be able to uh, be content with with hanging them up. What perspectives you bring back from their culture? Oh boy. It, I just had a good time. You know, it was, it, it was, it was never quiet. Um, there, we were always talking. And of course with teammates, there was a lot of Spanish speaking, there was some Dutch and French speaking and some English. And, and so, you know, we got to know enough of enough to be able to kind of mix around a little bit with a lot of broken, broken sentences and conversations. But um, you know, it didn't, it wasn't always a conversation about baseball. Um, but, you know, I just remember, filling empty water bottles with pebbles and shaking them up and, you know, flipping them over and beating them with sticks and just making noise in the dugouts and guys talking and poking fun at each other. And, you know, the, the language of baseball doesn't change, right. Um, the language you're speaking does, but you know, baseball is baseball. And uh, that was just, it was just fun to, to kind of get, get together with everybody and have a good time and see that everybody was, you know, again, still speaking the same language of baseball on the field. Gordy, what recommendations do you have for parents? Obviously, you've done a great job with Eric. He still he loves you. You guys worked together. He wanted to work with you. Obviously, you did something right when he was growing up. Um, any of the the parents out there that have kids that are just getting into it, what recommendations do you have for them? Oh, boy. Well, I don't know if I did such a good job. Uh, I do remember when he was younger and I was coaching him, and there's no doubt I was uh, – too hard on him or, or I don't know about too hard it's a little judgmental I, but he turned out good like you might think you're too hard on him but I think he's turned well, out great yeah and that's to his credit uh as far as uh you know recommendations to parents it's just like with anything you you've got to allow your kids to to be who they are and uh not just in our society but uh societies all over the place uh, parents, uh, teachers, coaches, uh, ministers, priests, uh, whoever they, you know, we, we all have a tendency to think that our beliefs, our systems are the best and the right. And, and we have to acknowledge sometimes that, you know, what our kids, our kids have to figure it out for themselves. You know, that we can't dictate to them the way they should think. And so I would say to parents, let your kids be themselves more than anything else. I think that's the hardest part of parenting is being free with letting them fail or have success and letting them dive, jump into the pool and sink or swim. I think that's the hardest thing 
with parenting. For anybody who's not following Gordy on Twitter, he's a great Twitter follower. He's very philosophical. I, you and I are kindred spirits. We've talked about that um, just from a, a life perspective and how you should actually be as a human being. You guys are, you and I are on the, the exact same page with how you should live as a, as a human and not putting your views on someone else. And, um, you know, I think it's a great example. I have people will disagree with me on that, I'm sure, but um, well, you and I are on the same page when it comes to that. Well, yeah, and I agree with you completely. At the same time, I'm guilty of having been that guy at times saying, this is the way you should look at this instead of saying, instead of uh, just showing them something and say, what do you think? You know, how, how, how would you look at this? And so, so yeah, I mean, Eric, has he been too hard on himself? I mean, from your perspective, I think everybody's got their own worldview of themselves. Has he been too hard on himself right now? Or is, is he being yeah, honest? Well, he, he probably is. He, he is, uh, he's, he's the most non-judgmental and, uh, autonomy giving person that, that I, that I know. So, um, I, I think he's probably being a little bit too hard on himself, but you know, of course we, we all are guilty of those things at, at certain times and a lack of patience at certain times. And, um, it, it's, uh, that of course, that's one of the things that, uh, I still need in my life, which is great because we share an office and, uh, you know, we, we get to practice those things together. Everybody needs at least one person that's going to be honest with them and hold them accountable. I don't think it needs to come from 800 different directions and every person you deal with is that way with you, but I think you at least need one in your life that is is going to be able to keep you in check um cuz it just you need you need that voice of reason at times and you need somebody that you can counsel with that's going to help you make some decisions cuz you don't always see I throw I throw things out in the office all the time and just as ideas and it's good to get you know different perspectives on on ideas and and things just because you get so wrapped up in yourself sometimes it's good to get somebody else's perspective from it too. Good teammates tell you the truth and they're loyal. For sure. Well, you know, Eric, you say you don't have a lot of problems with the guys on your squad because you are a high academic school. I mean, what are some other things you'd like to see out of there with, with the up-and-coming players that are out there? You know, that's uh, – I think we're in the same boat as, as any program in the country. We're just constantly trying to get better and avoid that, that plateau. And, uh, you know, I think the hardest times for that is following – success and uh that's you know it, it's easy after you don't feel like you you reach your potential to start to break down your systems and look at what we need to do better um but shoot when your system works pretty well and and you think that you're a bit comfortable in your ways that's when it can get dangerous um and so you know just continuing to challenge ourselves um and bringing bringing in coaches uh, around us who challenge the status quo and challenge us and what we may think and what we may think is right or, or best. Um, you know, those kind of conversations, good answers come from good questions and, and those you just got to ask them. And so uh, a lot of that comes from our players that we're able to openly have conversations with our players about what do you guys think about this? Is this working? You know, uh, how, how does this impact you guys? Um, question asking is a 
is a big thing. And I, and I, I don't think you can get, you know, the answers that you need without constantly asking. How often are you doing that with your guys when you're asking questions? Uh, ideally every day. Um, but you know, I think, I think, uh, all of us can at times check out a little bit and, and not do as much of that as we need to. But if we're doing our jobs, we're asking dozens of questions every single day to dozens of players and, uh, hopefully, hopefully listening to, to what, to the response, you know, what are some good resources out there for coaches listening in? So things that you really books, uh, you did mention some podcasts, but what are books or anything that are that light you up a little bit that maybe get you going at times? Well, I know my dad's usually reading two or three at a time, so I'll let him start with that. Oh, geez. Uh, well, you know, uh, talking about that, since our season was canceled in mid-March or whenever that was, I figured out a few weeks ago that since that time, I have read over 50 books. Uh, so, some of them I've listened to. And some of them I read, but uh, sometimes we get stuck in ruts where we're always reading uh, similar books or, or you know, things on the same topics that that maybe have different point of, point of views. Uh, but I personally, w- with all the new, with the way baseball's evolved, I've tried to read pretty much every book about modern baseball uh, that's been out there in the last ten years. Um, but then I will then dabble in reading about metaphysics or, uh, uh, spirituality or Gordy, give me one modern, modern day baseball book. If, if somebody's um, listening in, give them, give me one modern day baseball book. I'll tell you what, it, this is probably a book that a lot of, maybe a lot of people haven't read, but Eric bought a book for me a couple of years ago for Christmas written by Sean Green. Remember him? Yeah. Played for the Dodgers, had, had some great seasons. Uh, and he bought it for himself, too. And I don't know if he's read it yet. Nope. But that was an outstanding book, especially for hitters and the mental part of the game. Because he talks about meditation a lot, right? Yes, yes. And he talks about uh, the process. Um, and so that's kind of... Uh, one of those, I would call it a lesser known book than, than some of the other ones that have to do, you know, like MVP machine and, and those that are a little more popular today, but that Sean Green book, I would highly recommend. And also uh, the book that Rick Ankiel wrote, wrote uh, uh, Phenom, uh, um, because, and, and I have told other coaches that I think anybody that coaches baseball should read that book, Phenom by Rick Ankiel. It's a great story. Yes. Eric, any outside baseball books? Yeah, um, I'm a I'm a big Thich Nhat Hanh fan. Um, Miracle of Mindfulness was kind of my introduction to him, and then since then I've, I've dove into a few of his others. Um, I'm a Ryan Holiday fan. Uh, he's he's dropped a few good kind of stoicism type of uh, books. Um, any one of his, I, I would recommend. And then uh, there's there's two books. He's the first voice I hear in the mornings when I'm walking. It, his uh, daily stoic. It's a yeah. three minute deal. He's the first voice I hear when I wake up in yeah. the morning. Yeah. The the ego is the enemy. And uh, there was one I read before that. Um, I'm forgetting the name of. But Sam Sheridan is another author who wrote um, 
a fighter's a fighter's mind and a fighter's heart. Um, a fighter's heart came first, um, and I actually read that while I was while I was overseas playing. Um, but that is an outstanding book uh, about it's it's through the lens of mixed martial arts, but um, it's just it's an outstanding book overall. And then uh, I guess sort of the sequel to that was. Uh, fighter's mind um, and I'm not through that yet but those are both both good reads too you know and I know you both are in that you know peak performance and that side of it what are some keys for you guys whether it's morning routines evening routines or what you're doing throughout the day to, to maintain your energy level and your focus throughout the day uh, I uh, well of course ever since uh, we were we've been able to get back to the office I've kind of uh, got, I got to get back into my morning routine, but my general, generally it's like you said, uh, in the morning, I will, uh, uh, my morning routine before I come to the office is, uh, make some instant coffee. <laughs> uh, and I have a front porch that in the, it's got windows for in the winter and, and I open the windows when it's nicer out, but I will, uh, read whatever book I'm reading for the, for 30 minutes out there on the front porch. I will listen to whatever book I'm listening to for 30 minutes. And then I will meditate. Uh, sometimes it's a guided meditation. Sometimes it's just uh, my own quiet, uh, you know, breathing meditation or whatever it is. And I'll do those things on a daily basis before I come into the office or before I do anything else. And that... that Gordy, when did you start meditating? How long? How long has it been for you? Well, you know, funny, I, I dabbled in it. I, I've got a master's degree in counseling. So I dabbled in meditation back in the, uh, say, late 90s when I was working on that. But I really didn't get into it as much as I do now until uh, about four, four or five years ago. What made um, you decide to dive back into it? Uh, well, geez, do I, do I even admit this? I was, uh, I was dating a girl that really kind of inspired me to do that. So inspiration uh, can come from anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you know what? It's, uh, it's been a great, great part of my life since then. So, uh, so that, that morning routine, whether it's a, just a regular school day, practice day, game day, has been a constant with me. Um, and then during COVID, boy, you know, you had to be, had, had to have routines because I mean, I, I, I say I live, my house is a hermitage. I live on a dirt road and I, I could go a whole week without coming in face-to-face -face contact with another human being during that time. So that's when routine was huge, you know, um, as it is anyway. And Eric, you and I have talked about the nutrition side of things. You know, it, are you still staying pretty hard and fast with some of the nutrition stuff you're doing? Uh, a lot of that depends on, you know, what, what my life looks like at that time. Um, whether I'm, you know, traveling a lot, it's harder when you're traveling. But um, I'm, I, I stay conscious of it, what, regardless of the decisions I'm making. I'm always conscious of it. And, Do you uh, have any hacks for traveling? Like when, uh, when you're traveling, like things that help you stay at it on the road? Yeah. For, well, for me, if, as long as I, I, I'm a snacker. So as long as I make sure I have good snacks, uh, then I'll, I'll avoid the bad. Ones. What, what are your go-to snacks? Uh, usually almonds, beef jerky. Salted or unsalted? Salted. 
I'm, yeah. I'm a salt. Fan. I have to. We have unsalted in the house, and it. Every time I go in the pantry and I pick up the bag, I get so depressed if I see unsalted. Yeah. I'm like, I'll eat them, but it's For like, sure. uh, I'll do it. But seeds are good. I'm a, I'm a popcorn, popcorn addict as well. Um, but boy, you know, routine wise, reading and writing for me is I'm a much more even keel and I'm much more composed when I'm, you know, I get a chance to do some reading and kind of self-reflective writing. So you do, uh, you journal? Uh, I try to do that in the morning. Uh, reading is a bit more of a consistent habit than, than my journaling. Um, but you know, both of those things, you know, I find myself, if I start to get in a rut, I'll go, Oh man, I haven't, I haven't read anything in a week, you know, and it's just, you know, perspective gaining, just trying to empty your cup a little bit and gain some new perspective. Brian Koppelman, he writes billions. He's got a writing partner, but he wrote the the movie rounders. He has his own podcast called the moment and it's really good. Um, he had Julia Cameron on the other day. She wrote The Artist's Way, but hers is uh, three pages of, of, you don't even show it to anybody. She's hard and fast every day of just writing, and he's on it too. He said it gets you unblocked. So, like, he, he it's funny. He said, when I die, those pages will get burned. Like, they're not for human consumption. And he goes, he doesn't even go back and read them. He just that's what her thing is is three pages of just whatever stream of consciousness you have going and it's helped a lot of people unblock and and become more creative i think it just allows you to have some better conversations with yourself as well yeah absolutely how long have you been journaling eric uh shoot i i think i started started writing a lot um in about 2010 or so so it's been about 10 years now, um, more so in, in the early half of that decade. But um, you're right. It, it's the, For me, it's the chance that I get to ask myself good questions. And I started in high school and then used it a lot as a player. I don't as much anymore, uh, but it did help me relieve a lot of stress when I was playing. Um and I would go back and read it. And it was always funny to go back and reread it because you're like, you're way too hard on yourself and like having unrealistic thoughts and unrealistic conversations with yourself. It just puts you in a much better headspace with all yeah, of that. I started uh, in a baseball sense. I started that in college. Um, I had stacks of notes, you know, post outing notes on backs of receipts or hotel note cards or whatever it was. Give some um, examples of that. You know, for when you were a player, what, what were some of your after action reviews for your outings? <laughs> the one I remember the most was after making an error on a comebacker at Louisville and writing my only note that game was field your effing position. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but just, just good. And I took pride in, in, in my defense as a pitcher and, always referred to myself as a shortstop that pitched, you know, but a lot of those were process oriented and a lot of, you know, the issues were stemmed from either distractions um, or for me, just general heart rate level type of, I, I was somebody who needed a, a higher heart rate to, to really be my best and get going and kind of needed some pressure to, to really be able to lock in and, 
Um, you know, it, honestly, it was Coach Brownlee that kind of pointed that out to me about myself. And I'm sure, like a lot of things, I'm sure my dad pointed that out to me when I was a kid, and it wasn't until someone else said it that I actually believed it. Um, but, I had to know, go right up to the edge and make sure I didn't go over because if I went over, it was not going to be good. I was going to lose yeah. control. But I had to ride close to the red to be yeah. able to perform at that level. Um, it's a it's a balancing act with that because you've got to be able to get up right to it and and make sure you don't go over the edge on it. Yeah, absolutely. Said, hey, and Eric, with your injury, I mean, I, how, were you were you the same after it, or how did you get back from it? You know, that's a long time ago. You know, I know protocols and things have changed since then. Do you feel like you were a hundred percent after after your injury in college? Um, yeah, you know, I had in consecutive years uh, labrum and then. TJ, um, you know, I had, I had a good 14 months to recover from, from labrum, from the shoulder. And, uh, I think, I think that went well. Um, you know, my elbow was, I had already redshirted. I was going into my, you know, my fifth season, my fifth year in college. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to push that to six and take the extra time that it probably would have been necessary to fully recover. But, um, I, I was able, I was able to fully recover and, uh, get back up and, and at least, you know, touch 90 again after, after the, uh, the elbow. Um, but you know, it's, if you don't continue to, to take care of them, you know, once, once I stopped doing physical therapy, it was, I, it was done. You know, I, I couldn't throw a whole lot anymore. Um, but if I continue to do that and be religious about it, I was in pretty good shape. How much does that help you now in dealing with players of your own that get injured? Uh, I, personally, I think it's good to have the perspective. Um, that was hard for me, and I would tell guys that I tried to stay engaged with the players that got hurt because I didn't want them to feel like I'd forgotten about them. But I, I would tell them, like, hey, guys, I was really lucky. I played hard, and I got nicked up here and there, but nothing kept me out of playing. So I'm like, you need to come talk to me at times because it's not that I'm forgetting about you. It's just hard for me because I didn't go through it. I'm, I'm showing empathy for you that you're injured, but from an experience standpoint, I never had to deal with it. So it was, I just make sure I, I made sure I communicated that to guys that had gotten banged up that it was like, okay, I'm here for you, but I never had to really go through it at all as a, a player. Um, so just make sure you communicate with me. So, and that I'm always intrigued by that. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think uh, it, it wasn't as hard on on me. I don't think as it is for some, uh, and I don't know, you know, what to attribute that to. Um, I think as long as I had something to look forward to, as long as I had a goal, whether it be a for that day or that week or that month or the next year, as long as I was working towards something, I was I was able to stay pretty focused and pretty pretty level headed. Um, you know, I think sometimes it can be, it can be easy to lose, lose track of that long-term, uh, you know, the, the long-term vision and, and realize that, Hey, I've just got to get better today. Or, you know, I, I've got to make sure I get in there and, and check my boxes today. Um, but it, it does help, I think, to at least been through a lot of the different pains and sorenesses that, that a lot of guys go through when, when they get injured. What do you talk about with your pitchers? The difference between general soreness and, and injury. Uh, well, you know, the old school way is you know, 
you're either injured or you're not, you know. Uh, My dad's was always, it feels like somebody's stabbing you with a knife. I don't know if guys still use that, but I was like, well, I've never felt like I've, when I threw if I got stabbed by a knife, but um, that was always his <laughs> yeah. thing. If you feel like you're getting stabbed by a knife, then you might be injured. That, that, that makes sense to me. Uh, and, and like you though, I was, uh, I was a position player. I was a catcher who pitched a little, but, and I played hard and I was a little reckless with my body and every sport I played, but I never had injuries that kept me out of anything. So, um, so I don't know, you know, mentally, emotionally, what the guys are going through when they're injured, but you know, now, now with the new, the new age of, uh, throwing weighted baseballs and plyo balls and, uh, and, you know, different kinds of running. And now we've got full-time strength coaches that, you know, when I first started coaching, some baseball coaches didn't even allow their guys in the weight room and, and so, so now it's a different thing because I did not experience throwing plyo balls and weighted balls. And so it's another thing to try to learn, like how... Driveline Plus helped me the most with all of that, with learning oh, yeah. all the exercises and yeah, trying to pick bits and pieces of, of what we were doing with it. Right, right. Yeah. And then when you get a guy that gets injured doing something, you know, that's new then you start to wonder, you know, is that a good thing? Or is this just, you know, did I, was I going too fast with this guy? Or, you know, is this something I got to be careful with, with other guys? And you don't always know the answer for sure. You know, uh, so. In general, I, I tend to feel like that uh, soreness is, is muscular and, 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 you know, the, the injuries tend to happen in the joints. And so usually I'll ask you, does it feel like a muscle or does it feel like a joint? But luckily, uh, we've got a great athletic training staff, and, and we can trust in them. And, uh, you know, they're, they're very level-headed about the way they, they deal with our guys, and our guys are, are good about communicating and getting in there. We try to get our guys into the training room every day, um, you know, before they need to every day and just get used to that. And luckily, uh, like I said, we've got a great athletic trainer in Dan Hudson, and he runs injury prevention as part of our – daily warm-up for our entire team we've integrated injury prevention into that and so um you know now like my dad said you know we're not the strength coaches anymore we're not the athletic trainers anymore and we're lucky to be able to have the the uh you know the coaches on staff to to handle those areas of expertise shoot i remember the days when when we coaches were taping the ankles yeah well, and and we're expected to try to diagnose. And and I took one science class in college. I didn't, I didn't know. It's crazy. What are some final thoughts? Gordy, I'll let you go first. Anything. It could be, you know, obviously parent-son relationships, uh, coaching, anything. What are some final thoughts you got? Well, uh, I would say uh, the, be the beauty of uh, life, the beauty of our lives, and, of course, in our country we're kind of uh, – uh, spoiled a little bit probably, but relationships are, are what make our lives really go. And so uh, I'm eternally grateful for having been able to spend these days and years with Eric um, and getting to know him even better. 
um, even though he's my boss, you know, he has fired me a few times, but, uh, but anyway, is there any know, questions you want to ask him? Do you have a question you want to ask him right now? You know, when I fire him, he just grounds me. Yeah. You know, Jake Boss Jr. and Sr. are going to come on with me, and I'll tell this story during that. But I called Jake. I was at Iowa, and I'm like, hey, you know you can't fire your dad, right? Like, you just hired your dad as your volunteer coach. Like, he goes, I know, man. It's going to be tough. I'm like, I just, I, that would be hard for me. That would have been hard for me coaching with my dad. You know, I did that a couple <laughs> years. But if I was a head I give you guys a lot of credit because I don't think – as a head coach, I don't think I could have had my dad on my staff. I don't think it would have lasted very long. And I love my dad, but he and my brother well, knew how to push my buttons. Um, those the challenging things in life are the most rewarding. So you know, <laughs> that's that's the way. That's that's the story of our lives. Yeah. Eric, what about you? Final thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I'd go along the same lines with with relationships being being important. Um, and, and communication and, and just trying to better ourselves and, and ask ourselves good questions. Um, and, you know, I think especially today and, and, and what's going on, I think it's important that, uh, that we do a good job seeing other human beings um, and not looking through them and not looking past them and, and uh, not looking at them for what they can give us. And, and just understanding that, you know, every, Every man thinks is that there's a there's a Bob Marley quote for you. Every man thinks his burden is the heaviest, and uh, it's it's uh, it's a tough thing to practice. But I think the more we can we can try and practice looking at each other, um, you know, with with some sympathy and with some empathy, uh, the better the better we'll be. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank Thanks, you, Coach. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Eric and Gordy for jumping on with me. Uh, they're both, both great examples of being old school coaches that have dove into the technology that is available today. Uh, the growth mindset has helped both of them develop a successful program together. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in our office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Oh, hey.